This is the Hospitality Podcast, your B2B show for the best thought leadership in the industry, bringing you education, information, and inspiration only on MarketScale. Take out that travel guide and let's explore. Hospitality is a people industry. You don't want to take away that human element. The best technology has to be a seamless technology. So we have to find ways to be even more creative on, particularly when it comes to energy, water, and waste. You hire the kind of employee that's going to act like an owner, that's going to have that initiative. All right, welcome to the third episode of the Market Scale Hospitality Podcast. I'm your host today, Tyler Kern. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode of the show. We have a big episode coming up for you. In one of our features today, we're going to talk about how the cruise industry is innovating with new technology, some new IoT technology in the cruise industry that's really uh, going to change the customer experience there. Our correspondent, Sam Mosier, is on that story. And then in our second feature, we're going to talk to Dave Rev Ciancio. He goes by Rev. He's a senior marketing strategist and brand manager for the hospitality industry. He's going to talk about how your reputation can be managed online using uh, websites and different uh, search engine optimization that will help your website be uh, and your brand be noticed online. So that's coming up on the show today. But right now, I'm joined in the studio by Zach Werblow, one of my esteemed colleagues here at MarketScale. Hello, Zach. Hey, Tyler. Thanks for finally inviting me on. It's uh, great to be in the studio. It only took uh, till the third episode of the Hospitality Podcast, but numerous other episodes of other podcasts that have not invited you on. So I guess it, it did take a while. Yeah, it's been quite a while. It's been kind of uh, a mainstay here at Market Scale, kind of helping you out with a lot of your shows and a lot of the other content, <laughs> a lot of the video content. But, you know, podcasts is a world that I haven't touched before this. So it's kind of a, a new frontier for me. It's kind of exciting. Well, we're happy to have you here in the podcast studio today, Zach. So we're talking to you today because over the weekend you took a trip. You went to go see your alma mater. North Texas uh, get beaten down in a bowl game by Utah State. I'm sure that part was uh, was disappointing for you. I apologize about that. Yeah, that part definitely wasn't great, but I'm a big college football fan, and bowl season is like a great time of year for me. I always like to obviously go to the Cotton Bowl almost every year, and right. the heart of Dallas Bowl, and I usually try to make one good trip to another bowl game. And uh, this year it was the New Mexico Bowl in Albuquerque. And I hadn't been to New Mexico yet, so I really wanted to cross that off my list. Nice. So I now only have six states left to go to before I hit all 50. Wait, really? What six states? Do you know them just like off the top of your head? What six states you haven't been to? Uh, Alaska and Hawaii, obviously, because those are a t- quite a time commitment to go Can't exactly to. drive to Hawaii. I mean, you no, could drive you, to Alaska, but I don't know that I'd recommend uh, it. That is a long, long drive. That's a trek. Um, and the rest is really scattered. It's like Portland, Vermont, a couple states here and there. But when you look at the map, it's almost all uh, crossed off. So I'm pretty excited to get to the home stretch of seeing America. Now, this is a debate that I've had with other people. Uh, what what constitutes visiting a state? Like if you have a layover in a state, are you crossing it off the list? Or do you need to like leave the airport and go at least have a meal in that state for it to count? Uh, that's like a, kind of a controversial one. I, I don't really count airports. Okay. I mean, like I've been in the San Francisco airport several times, but you know, I would only ever been to San Francisco once because I only left the airport once. So I really think uh, you have to drive through it, have a meal, experience some kind of the culture. Sure. Of course, on the other side is if you don't exit the highway and just, you know, have a Whataburger off the side of the highway, did you really see the state? I don't know about that, but uh, definitely 
experiencing some kind of culture is the standard for visiting a state or not. Okay, I, I, I can agree with that. So you visited New Mexico for, uh, for the bowl game there for UNT versus uh, Utah State, uh, and you booked a hotel. And so I'm curious about that process. How did you go about booking that hotel? Um, just did you go online? Did you read some reviews? What, what did you do to book that hotel? I mean, I really take my whole process in booking the hotel because I guess my biggest fear is like you always, no matter what, kind of buy the hotel blind. So I always try to do all my research. I mean, I start going on kayak and orbits and pretty much every single travel website. At this point, they're pretty much all hooked into the same network. So you see the same prices everywhere, but you never know if there's a vacancy available. And I check out all the obviously all the mid price, lower price hotels first, and always kind of do a checklist of location. Is it in a location that I wouldn't need to get a rental car? I don't have to pay for parking. Mm-hmm. I can do ride sharing, but I don't have to have expensive ride sharing each time. So you know, location, location, location is absolutely the most important for me. But besides that, you know, it's not really the brand recognition or the loyalty points necessarily. It's really, you know, about cleanliness of the rooms and reading the reviews. I read a review every single time before I book a hotel. And even sometimes, like, with chains I trust and have a lot of loyalty points at, I'll read the review on Orbitz and that particular location, you know, for whatever reason, kind of, you know, didn't play well with those uh, visitors or maybe it did play well and uh, it exceeded their expectations. I always try to look at the reviews and the dates of the reviews. If the, if the review is two years old, I honestly can't put any stock into it, but you know, if it's reviewed in the last 60 days, 90 days, then that's a pretty good uh, indicator of what state the hotel is going to be in. Interesting. We're going to talk more about reviews and online presence uh, coming up later on the show with Rev Ciancio. So stick around for that. But so if if you had to put like a percentage on it, so you said location is important, cleanliness of room with those uh, with those uh, reviews and that sort of thing. If you had to put percentages, so like fifty percent location, twenty five percent reviews, twenty five percent price, what, or something along those lines. How how would you how would you make those percentages work? Yeah, I'd put 60% location just because that is the most important one by far. Um, and then probably 25% on cleanliness just because I, I know what I want to get. And, um, you know, it's they've done a lot of studies that the first night you stay in a new location, you don't go into as, as deep of a sleep just because the way we're biologically uh, wired is just like you're always kind of keeping a part, small part of yourself awake because you don't know kind of, you know, exterior threats were presented way back when we had to worry about those things. (laughs) So like, you know, there is the thing of like, you know, people always make that joke. Oh, I didn't sleep well in my hotel room last night. It's because, you know, you're almost biologically wired to not sleep as well. So I always try to make sure that it's going to be a very clean, comfy hotel with great pillows that, you know, kind of make sure that I have a great night's sleep. I like that. I like that a lot. That is Zach Werblow. He is uh, my boss here at the Market Scale. And uh, he joined us here for the Hospitality Podcast just to break down his process for uh, figuring out where he's going to stay when he's going to go on a road trip, go out to those bowl games, and that's the sort of thing. So, Zach, thank you so much for joining me on the Hospitality Podcast today. I appreciate coming on, and I look forward to uh, coming on again in the near future. 
Oh yeah, we'll definitely have to have Zach on after he shamed me for not for waiting so long to have him on the first time. All right, like I said, coming up on the podcast, we have two great conversations. Sam Mosier took a dive into the uh, into the technology that is innovating uh, the cruise line space. So you're going to want to hear that interview with Sam coming up shortly. And then David Rev Ciancio, interesting guy. He's going to come on and he's going to talk a little bit about brand management and uh, reputation management online. So how those reviews impact whether or not your website and your brand are seen when people do Google searches and search for you on Facebook and Instagram and those types of places. So really interesting conversation coming up with Rev Ciancio as well. So stick around for both of those features coming up next on the Market Scale Hospitality Podcast. All right, like I mentioned, coming up next on the Hospitality Podcast, our correspondent Sam Mosier caught up with Mark Orwall. He's a 29-year veteran of travel and leisure magazine. This guy knows his way around cruise ships. So we're going to dive into some of the ways that cruise ships are innovating with technology and making that guest experience a little bit better, a little bit more convenient, uh, and updating it using this new technology. So it's going to be a really fascinating conversation. Can't wait to hear it. Coming up next, it's Mark Orwall joining Sam Mosier on the Hospitality Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Mosier, and today, Mark Orwell joins us to talk about technological advances on cruise ships. Orwell is a veteran travel journalist who spent 29 years on the editorial staff of Travel and Leisure magazine, most recently as their international editor. He has covered the cruise industry since 1987. He is now a freelance writer. His work can be found in the Condé Nast Traveler, the Travel Channel, Town and Country, and dozens of other publications. Mark, how are you doing today? I'm doing just great. Thanks so much for having me on the podcast. Of course, it's our pleasure to have you. So new technology is a big topic on cruise ships, and it's kind of a, a daunting thing to tackle. So I think the best place to start is with some recent news. In October, Princess Cruises announced that all of its Caribbean Princess passengers will have access to its ocean medallion technology. It's wearable, about the size of a quarter, and pairs with many devices to act like a personal concierge. It has plenty of features, including ordering food and helping guests find their way around the ship. So how does technology like the ocean medallion change guests' experience? Well, the ocean medallion is... Uh not exactly a brand new technology. In fact, I think Disney has been using it at its theme parks for, for quite a few years. But it is a nice idea in that it sort of streamlines the guest process. Uh, you use it for onboard purchases. You use it to unlock your cabin door. It can help speed up the boarding process. If you're looking for your kids on the cruise ship, uh, as long as they're wearing their ocean medallion, uh, uh, little device, then you can track them down. So it, it's, it, it helps make things a little easier. You have to, however, to get the full value out of it, uh, the full use out of it, download an app on your cell phone, and you can use that to book spa treatments and shore excursions. Uh, as you mentioned, you can even order food or drink, which, but, which I think is really cool. On anywhere on the ship, you can order it. And the waiter will track you down with the geolocation uh, <laughs> wow. technology and facial recognition. So he can look and see, he'll, within, within a couple of feet, he'll be able to find you. So these things are, uh, they're not dramatically changing life on board a cruise ship, but they're making things easier. So speaking of making things easier, I want to talk about mobile phones. I came across your cruise ship expertise by reading your travel article from earlier this year where you talked about technological advances on cruise ships, which 
which includes mobile phones. So how are cruise ships using phones to make the guest experience easier? Well, let me give you a quick example. Royal Caribbean has a smartphone app that lets you connect with an artificial intelligence bot to get information about um, what the menu is on dinner tonight, what, uh, what the stage show is in the Broadway theater, uh, all of those sorts of things. It, again, like the Ocean Medallion, it lets you order a drink wherever you are on board, or food, and have it automatically delivered to you. MSC, another cruise line, has a mobile phone app that lets you text and make phone calls to other passengers, which is great if you're traveling with a family or a small group. Uh, the new Celebrity Edge, which just launched, I was on the, the launch cruise in the end of November, they have an app that can do all of those things and more, including you, including letting you use your phone and room key. Now, from a practical point, if you've ever been on a cruise, you know that getting onto the cruise ship is one of the lengthiest processes. There's security, and there's the long lines, and there's you know checking your luggage and all of that sort of stuff. But with the new Celebrity Edge app that they have, well, they like to call it frictionless arrival. I, I like that phrase. Guests download the app, provide all the information, like credit card details, ID. You take a selfie so that that can work in concert with the ship's facial recognition technology. And their policy is, I don't know if it always works, but their policy is the goal is to get passengers, as they say, from the car to the bar in 10 minutes. So <laughs> all of these technologies, whether whether we're talking about the wearable technology like the Ocean Medallion or something new like what the, many of the cruise lines are doing using mobile phone technology, they're all designed for the same thing, which is to make life simpler, easier, more efficient for people getting on the ship and enjoying themselves on board. Frictionless arrival. I like that. I think I think any guests can agree yeah, <laughs> that uh, it's, easier is better. It's cute. One thing you brought up that uh, leads on to the next topic I wanted to talk to you about was apps that allow guests to communicate with each other on the ship, to text each other. Uh, I was reading on your article that uh, NCL is one of those examples. They have a cruise Norwegian app where that allows just that. And that brings on kind of the larger conversation of internet connectivity on cruise ships, which has always been a challenge for cruise ships to tackle. How are companies working to improve that connectivity? Well, internet connectivity at sea has been a problem for a long time. You know, we're so used to things being lightning fast when we're at home. Uh, you click on a website and boom, it's up there, you know, a second later. That doesn't happen on most cruise ships. So the cruise lines have been focused, then they know how important this is. So they've been focusing on how they can increase the speed uh, with which their guests can access the internet, go from one website to the next. There's a new uh, system out there, it's called SpeedNet. It's from a company called MTN Satellite Connections. And they say that they have cut down the latency issues, that is the length of time that it takes you to log on to a website, by, by more than half in many cases. So there are seven cruise lines that have signed up to use that. There are similar new technologies that other cruise lines are using. So the cruise lines are fully aware that Wi-Fi is crucial to their passengers, uh, in some cases absolutely necessary. If you've got an aging parent at home or you have a, a business uh, deal that you're conducting, you know you need to get online and it needs to be done pretty quickly. Uh, the one issue that, that people worry about when they're waiting and waiting and waiting for a website to load on a cruise ship is that in most cases you're paying 
by the minute to get online. And that, that does not make for a good uh, guest cruise line relationship when people are feeling frustrated. So I see that speeding up and that's, that's probably not going to be a major issue going forward as most of the cruise lines have focused on this as being an, uh, really a top priority. On the, uh, the horizon though, and, and we, we really need to consider this, is the, the need for greater internet security. A lot of people now, uh, business people, are going on to cruise ships but they still have to conduct business where there's sensitive information being conveyed to the recipients of emails and what have you. So more and more we're, we're seeing a focus on making the connections secure, um, uh, that, that is gonna make it safer, make you feel better about, even if you have to wait, at least you'd know that somebody's not peeking into your communications. That's a promising thing, especially for those, like you said, still wishing to work while they're on vacation. But which, by the way, I don't recommend working on vacation, but I know sometimes it's necessary. <laughs> <laughs> Another thing I found really interesting about your Traveler article is about how cruise ships are changing and bringing technology into staterooms, specifically the, the interior cabins, the ones without the windows. What are some of those improvements that you wrote about? Well, this is really fascinating, and I'm telling you, there are some people that... Uh, are some of the creative people of the cruise lines just must be having a blast coming up with these ideas. I'll give you a quick example. Disney Cruise Line. Now, of course, you would expect, you would expect some innovations coming out of Disney. They're famous for that. One of the things that they have done on their cruise ships on uh, the Disney Cruise Line is they realize that the interior cabins, the inside cabins, could be a little bit claustrophobic. So what they have done is they've made a virtual reality porthole using real-time videos from the ship's exterior uh, cameras. So it, it, you really get the sense that you're looking out the window and it doesn't feel as confined as it might otherwise. Royal Caribbean is doing something very similar. They, but they've done it even bigger. They have a complete wall-sized virtual reality balcony uh, using high-def video that shows you the passing ocean. It comes complete with sound effects. I mean, this is, this is wonderful. Uh, the Celebrity Edge, this, this cutting-edge cruise ship, uh, guests can, 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 they can control the temperature of their cabins no matter where they are. If you say to yourself, my goodness, it's getting really hot out here this afternoon, I better raise the air conditioning in my room so that when I get back there, it's nice and comfortable. Um, at night, in the, uh, on, the, on the Celebrity Edge, uh, if you want to turn off the lights and close the curtains to your, your, uh, your balcony, you just say, computer, good night, and everything shuts down. So uh, there are incredible uh, innovations being made. Some of them are really meaningful. Some of them are just kind of cute. But it, it shows you that the cruise lines are focusing on this technology in a serious way. Either way, that's really exciting. Getting to stay in a room like that sounds like something out of a movie, which I'm sure is exactly what a company like Disney is going for. <laughs> that's true. So among changes in staterooms, internet connection, and incorporating mobile phones. A lot has changed in the past several years. One of the many reasons I was happy to have you on today was because you witnessed these changes as you've covered the cruise industry for about three decades. As a whole, what have been the trends you've seen over that time in terms of technological advances? Yeah, that, no, that's a, that's a very good question. Who, I mean, uh, the, the trends that I've seen are you know, pretty easy to nail down. First off, one of the important ones, it's not sexy, but it's important. And that is the, that comfort has greatly increased 
thanks to stabilizers. These, these are, this is a technology that, that minimizes how much a cruise ship rocks from side to side. Because I know a lot of people are concerned, am I gonna get seasick? Well, these, these cruise ships these days are not like they were 30 years ago or 40 years ago. They're very, very stable. Uh, also, the advances in bow thrusters and stern thrusters. Again, not a sexy topic, but they, they now allow ships to, even these massive ships, to dock in the smaller ports. And it's so much nicer when you dock at a, at, at a port so they can go straight from the ship to the land rather than having to get onto a tender, you know, one of the smaller little boats that'll then ferry you to the land. So these are these are little things, yes, but 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 really important to the comfort. One other thing, and again, it's kind of behind the scenes. And cruise lines really don't want to advertise the measures they take when in regards to this, but security. Technology has really enhanced security on cruise ships. Uh, a number of cruise ships right now are equipped with what's called LRAD technology. That's called long-range acoustic device. Think of them as sound cannons. You can point these at, at, at pirates. And yes, there are still pirates out there. You can point one of these sound cannons at their boat and almost burst their eardrums to, to keep them away. Uh, one final thing on security that I want to mention. You know, when you there's so much intricate technology in an engine room, uh, the, the very sensitive electronics. It's not just big pistons and thrusters going up and down. It's a very, very high-tech environment down in an engine room. And if there is a fire, and it does happen, but if there is a fire, the last thing you want is to have water from sprinklers come pouring down on all of that sensitive equipment. They've come up with this new technology, and I've seen it. It's called smoke of water. It's a fine mist that's going to snuff out flames, but without damaging electronics. So a lot of the things that I've seen develop over the 30 years are not the, you know, the, 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 the zip lines and the roller coasters, which are fun, but, but things that actually contribute to the safety of the passengers and the efficiency of the whole cruise ship operation. And I'll be honest with you, that's what I find uh, most, most uh, compelling as a, as as I look at this industry and what they've done to make their to make their industry better. It's something more fundamental. Yeah, all the other stuff is fun, and we all want to go, uh, you know, to the midnight buffet and see the Broadway th show and all that. But I also want to make sure that that ship is sturdy. It's going where I want it to go, and that the captain is in control. And if technology can help that, God bless. Absolutely. Well, I mean, suffice to say, between the innovations that have been going on in comfort and efficiency and security, it's exciting to see where cruise ships have come in the last several decades and where they're headed in the future. Mark, with all that being said, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a really fun and informative conversation. Well, it's been a pleasure to be with you. Thank you very much for having me on the, on the podcast. Of course, thank you. We hope to have you again another time. And thank you all for listening. If you'd like to follow Mark and his future travel writing adventures, he can be found on Twitter at Orwall and Instagram at Mark Orwall. His last name is spelled O-R-W-O-L-L. -L. Now, on to the rest of the show.
All right. Thank you to Sam Mosier for conducting that interview. And thank you so much to Mark Orwell for joining the podcast today. It was really informative. And I think I learned a lot about how technology is innovating that cruise ship space. Uh, Something really, really interesting there. Uh, I think that everyone can learn from that interview there. So thank you to Mark again for joining us on the podcast. All right. Coming up next is my conversation with David Rev Ciancio. He goes by Rev. His name is David Ciancio. But He's a senior marketing strategist and brand manager. He also calls himself an expert burger taster. I'm going to ask him how he got that title coming up here in a second. Uh, But he's going to talk about reputation management for businesses online. So for restaurants, hotels, your reputation online can be, you know, the only thing that people experience about you before they decide whether or not they're going to come in and visit your establishment. So it's a big deal what people are reading about you online. He's going to talk about how you can manage that, how you can use social media for your benefit going forward. So I think it's going to be a really informative an interesting interview from a guy that really knows a lot about how to make sure that you're visible in the right ways online. So that is coming up next, my conversation with David Rev Ciancio. All right, joining me now on the Hospitality Podcast is David Ciancio. People in the business know him as Rev. He's a senior marketing strategist, brand manager, and expert burger taster. David, thank you so much for joining the podcast today, man. Tyler, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. I'm excited to talk to you because I think you're my first uh, burger tester that I've ever, uh, expert <laughs> burger tester, I should say, that we've ever had on the podcast. I got to know, how do you, how does one attain the level of expert burger taster? <laughs> uh... How do you get the title and how you attain it are two different things. Uh, so I've eaten, you know, thousands of thousands of hamburgers in my life. Uh, and I used to write one of the world's top three hamburger blogs, uh, just sort of as a goof. And, and if you go follow me on social media, I post a lot of pictures of hamburgers. So uh, I guess over time, you develop an expert quote, taste ability to taste them and, and test them. Uh, but I was on a show on uh, the travel channel called Burgerland that's hosted by my friend George Motes, who in, in my mind is the world's foremost expert on burgers. And uh, when they went to give me the, the title Chiron, they just put Rev Ciencio, expert burger taster. And <laughs> people saw it and uh, it got some SEO clicks. And now if you Google expert burger taster, you'll find me. So just sort of happened. <laughs> Man, that's something to uh, aspire to in my career at some point, you know, is, is attain the title of expert burger taster. I'd like to get there. I think um, my, my next conquest, I'd like to know that if you could search French fry historian, I would be the number one search, but that's going to take a little more SEO juice to get going. Well, that's why you're here. You know, we can uh, we can put that out into the world a little bit more. Uh, foremost French fry historian, Rev Ciencio, joining the podcast today. It's going to be a very different show. <laughs> Well, we, we are talking about reputation today on the on the podcast, and that's kind of a little bit of, uh, of what we're talking about already. But uh, we're talking about reputations as it comes to uh, the hospitality industry and businesses, so restaurants and hotels and that sort of thing. So uh, kind of in your line of work with what you've done as a strategist, as a brand manager, re- managing reputations is kind of a, a big aspect of that. What are some of the impacts of, uh, of managing reputations for you know restaurants and hotels and that sort of thing? Sure, that's a great conversation. I think a lot of people, especially today, when you say reputation management, they think about like, some high class level expensive PR person making sure that, you know, if you accidentally hit a police officer in the face, like you're not going to get, you know, lambasted on social. Uh, and I guess that is a form of <laughs> reputation management. 
management. But what we're talking about here in the hospitality business is essentially third-party reviews. So uh, a third-party review is a review that lives on somebody else's website. So like a Yelp or a Facebook or a Google or you know OpenTable, TripAdvisor, somewhere where somebody, a customer can go and publicly share their mind. Uh, and most people and, and restaurant owners, you know, from McDonald's down to the, the pizza shop around the corner from my house, which by the way is fantastic, <laughs> uh, they don't understand the hidden secrets of reputation management, right? So sure, everybody understands great customer service, right? You walk through the door, you have a nice experience, they say thank you, you're like, oh, I want to go eat there again, right? We all get that. Uh, and anybody that doesn't get that either has built their name on being really mean and it's one of those places or they're going on their way to being out of business. Well, there's a couple of hidden secrets to reputation management that most hospitality leaders and owners don't realize and there's a massive, massive SEO benefit. So in April of 2016, Google came out and said, look, we're gonna tell you exactly how local search works. It's based on three factors, right? Prominence, distance, and relevance. Uh, the prominence piece is the keyword of the search. So if I go best tacos near me, I'm looking for tacos, right? Google's gonna go find a result for tacos, mm -hmm. right? The next piece distance is obvious. So if I do near me, I'm looking near me. If I say, you know, Austin, Texas, I'm looking at Austin, Texas, whatever. And it's that last piece relevance that Google came out in 2016 and said, this is how we're gonna index search answers for local businesses and the rest of the internet followed. Now, relevance in terms of how Google sees it is they're literally ranking businesses against each other in search based on their reputation management. So what does that mean? It means ratings and reviews. And it doesn't just mean your number on Google, it means your number in aggregate. So what is your number on Facebook? What is your number on Google? What is your number on Yahoo? Or you know, wherever a review can live. And it also looks at a system that is about recency. Now they haven't told anybody what that distance of time is, but I'm gonna break this down to a much simpler explanation. Tyler, if we're staying in the middle of the street, and you tell me, Rev, I want tacos, and mm -hmm. I do best tacos near me, and there's a taco shop on our left, and there's a taco shop on our right, right? Let's say they're almost the same. Same prices, same menu items. They both have like a, you know, a 4.1 star. They're, they're online, they're essentially the same. We can't tell the difference. Okay. Whichever one got the most recent, highest rating review is more likely to come up in that search. So if the taco shop on the left got a five-star review yesterday, and the one on the right hasn't had a positive review in a month, the one on the left will come up first in search. So most businesses and most restaurants don't realize that. There's that hidden, that hidden gem to being found online to reputation management. And that's not it. I know I'm getting long-winded here, but this is like a subject I'm incredibly passionate about and I know can make a difference, right? The other thing is, Reputation management and ratings and reviews, by responding to them, you will automatically increase your rating, right? And I, I think it was Yext uh, said that 0.1% or, I'm sorry, 10% sorry, of, uh, if you, sorry, if you reply to your ratings and reviews, you'll see a 10% lift in your star rating, right? Just by replying, because other customers see it and other customers think, oh, this person cares, this restaurant cares, that they'll reply to me, they have good customer service, right? But it also informs the customer journey. Right, so let's say you and I are standing in the middle of the street and we Google best tacos near me and we look at that one place, right? And on every single one says, oh, the owner, you know, owner John was awesome, came to our table and told us this and the tacos were just like they had in, in I had when I was in Mexico, blah, blah, blah. Like right. we feel pretty positive, right? It has informed that, oh, that is the experience we were looking for. We were looking for authentic tacos. We were looking for great customer service. Mm -hmm. You know, we were looking for a reward system, whatever. So having, the owner or somebody in the business respond to reviews also helps inform the customer journey so that they know what they are going to get from an experience when they come to your restaurant. 
So how can restaurants drive people towards reviewing their restaurant uh, online? Is, is, is that something that they are able to, uh, able to do? Because I think of when I've left reviews, it's either been because I've had a really, really bad experience uh, or just an unbelievably awesome experience. But if I go and just have a, a really good, like, oh, hey, that was a good meal, I, I don't normally feel compelled to leave a review. Is there a way that restaurants can kind of push me in that direction? So Tyler, you're like most of us. Uh, most people are only incentivized from a personal basis to go positive or negative. However, and you'll have to go look up the stat, it's something like 60% or 65% plus of all reviews online are four or higher, right? Most people are more motivated to say something really nice than to say something really mean. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're kind of already in the positive game, but the question is how do restaurants get more positive reviews or even just reviews in general? We have to be careful. Uh, if you go and look in the terms and conditions, especially on Yelp, and I believe a little bit Google, right? You are not allowed to incentivize or ask for reviews. So you can't say, hey, Tyler, will you leave me a five-star review? That is against the terms and conditions for those sites, right? So sort of the, the best practice rules, because you kind of want to let customers know they're important, right? You want to kind of get them into that mindset of like, hey, tell me something nice about my business online. So here's a couple of things you can do. Number one, you should reply to almost all of your reviews. If I'm inclined to leave a review and I see that the owner of the business or a representative of the business is leaving reviews, I'm more inclined to leave one because I think somebody's going to see it or I might get a reply. So that's number one. Reply to as many reviews as you can. Number two, you can send signals to your, your customers through social media. So you can say on your Facebook page, hey, we really like reviews, right? You can go on Twitter and share, hey, look what Tyler said about my taco shop on Yelp, right? So you're not saying, give me review on Yelp. You're not saying, write a review on my Facebook page. You're telling your customers that reviews matter to you. You're telling your customers that their opinion is important, that you're gonna go read it, right? So there's those little signals that you can send. You can also go create graphics and share all of your positive reviews. Like, hey, we got a, we're up to four points uh, rating system on TripAdvisor. Thanks so much, everybody who follows us here. You can sort of get them into it. You can also do things like put stickers in your window that says, hey, we're on Yelp, or you can put it in your menu, or you can have your servers when they do a table touch, like, hey, did you guys have a great time? Cool, we love reviews. So you can't say review us on Yelp. You can't say give us a five-star rating. You can't say recommend us on Facebook, but you can say these things are important to me through a number of different signals you can send to your customers. Now there's a little, there's one other thing you can do. There's a different kind of review called first party. Tyler, do you know what that is? I do not. Okay. So we talked earlier about third party reviews, which are reviews that live on websites that are not yours, right? Mm -hmm. There's another type of review called first party review. And now this is when you basically operate a review channel on your own website. So a customer comes to your website and they leave you a review just as if they were on TripAdvisor, just as if they were on Facebook. Star rating, comment, the whole nine yards, right? You have to use a, a piece of technology to do this. You can't just like have them email you and post it. It doesn't work that way. Uh, and there's a number of options out there. But once you do that, right, the, re- the there's two benefits. So number one, customers, will, when, once they've made it to your website, they're kind of about ready to become your customer anyway. Like they've, you're, they're down the sales funnel, so to speak. It gives them that last piece of, uh, a last signal confidence to, yeah, they're gonna have the experience they want. But also Google will reward a business by adding a star rating to the results in search. So if you ever Google a restaurant and you see the star rating actually come up underneath the uh, organic link results, Mm -hmm. right? That's Google rewarding a business for having first party search results. And those businesses get something like 300% more clicks than organic search results without the stars. 
So the last thing you can do in that game, if you are doing first party reviews, you can absolutely ask. There's no rules. Hey, thank, the only rule is that you have to operate genuinely, right? You can't like suppress a negative view. You have to send them all out there. But those tools that you can get, you can say, hey, review my business. Send me your positive thoughts. And you can quarantine them and you can reply to them and you can try to fix the problem before it goes live. It's really fascinating. We're talking a lot about uh, how, you know, how businesses are able to be found on Google. But uh, nowadays, just in the last 15 years with social media, uh, so much has changed about how restaurants can market themselves and, and sh- display their brands out there on social media, whether it's Facebook, Instagram. Where all do restaurants need to be? And not just restaurants, anybody in the, in the hospitality industry. Where, you know, what are all the sites that they need to be on? Where all do they need to be uh, to make sure that they're as visible as possible in today's environment? Well, we certainly don't have time on this show to list all of them, but I can give you some, <laughs> I can give you some good leader clues here. Yeah. So, before social media, before you start a Twitter account, before you start posting to Facebook, before you're on Instagram daily, I would tell that is every restaurant out there it is vital that they manage all the public facts about their business everywhere they live online. So what do I, I mean when I say public facts? Some people call it digital knowledge, but it's essentially anything that somebody could search about your business, name, address, phone number, hours of operation, which credit cards do you take, do you have handicap accessible bathrooms, what's on your menu, and any of those facts that I'm gonna go into Alexa and ask her to say, hey, best taco near me with Wi-Fi that's kid-friendly, right? Mm-hmm. Any of those facts, take, make sure that you are managing all that information everywhere it lives online, not just Google, right? You gotta do it on Yelp and TripAdvisor and Facebook and Bing and City Search and all the long-tail publishers, there's hundreds of them. Uh, and there's software you can go get out there that will help you do that. But I would say that number one is make sure your information is correct because people need information. Even if I see a post on Instagram where somebody's doing a massive pizza pull and the cheese is stretched across the entire photo and I need to have that pizza in my mouth right now and that's how I discovered your restaurant, I still need directions. I still need to know what time you're open. I still need to know if you do delivery. I like I still have need of all that information, right? So you wanna prevent a leaky budget by making sure that all your information is correct. So step one, update your the public facts about your brand everywhere they live online. Number two, what is the best way, what are the best social media sites for uh, you know promoting a restaurant? I would tell you there's really only two essential ones and that's Facebook and that's Instagram. And you have to look at them a little differently. To me, because Facebook, it's so hard to get an organic post in front of your audience. Mm-hmm. I look at Facebook pages as being a club membership. I like your business enough to say I like you on Facebook, right? Make that a customer service channel. Share customer experiences, give special deals, give me a reason to interact. I don't just need to see the same thing you're posting in other places. Make it a, you know, it, don't, it doesn't have to be a closed group, but treat it as though it's a membership society. This is a customer service channel for rewarding the customers that like me the most, right? And then Instagram. Instagram is a great tool for discovery and that is where I would tie in doing some influencer marketing, right? How do I get exposure? So I would use Instagram a little bit as my, my baited hook and I would use uh, Facebook a little bit as my fish store. You know, here's how I connect people and here's how I get them in. 
That's really interesting. Just the, the the difference between the two, because you're right. Facebook um, can can tend to be more difficult as far as as getting it in front of people, but Instagram, there's there's that that picture type hook that you can really uh, get out there and get in front of folks. Uh, that's that's really really interesting to me. As you look into the future, what are some ways that you think people can continue to innovate in this area uh, to make sure that they are on the forefront of uh, of being ahead of the trends when it comes to to uh, digital marketing? And that sort of thing? That's a great question. Well, you're going to get a lot of people that say, oh, you know, this is a mobile first society and you got to be mobile ready and blah, blah, blah. We are so past that, right? <laughs> if, you're not mo- if you're not mobile, if your business isn't on mobile or mobile friendly, like you've already lost that game and I'm not sure you, you're, you're primed to catch up. But to me, it's about voice search readiness and voice search preparedness. Mm. You know, I think we've probably all seen that Comscore stat that says, you know, 50% of searches by 2020 will be voice. Uh, I also read a stat the other day that says one of one out of four people that use voice search to find restaurants go within a day, right? So if, if you use Siri or you use Alexa or you use Google Home to search for restaurants, right? There's a 25% chance that you're going to go to that restaurant that you get in result. Wow. That's only going to go up. Like that's not going to go down. That's going to go up. As, as natural language processing happens and people get more and more comfortable talking to Alexa, you know, think about what a search online was like five years ago. Best taco near me. Like we would choose a result, right? Mm-hmm. But we're at the point now where like, hey, Alexa, uh, best taco near me has Wi-Fi available parking and I can take my kids on a Sunday without them screaming at me. Like <laughs> that's where we're going, right? So, you know, my advice to a restaurant or somebody operating a hospitality business is get voice search ready now. Like get, if you really want to be ahead of your competition, like people are already using this and the adoption, if you go look at the numbers, is faster than the mobile phone, right? We are, Customers are ready for this. And the more they talk to these devices, the more natural it's going to become, like that example I just gave. And the best way to do that is going back to what I said, manage those public facts, manage your digital knowledge, because Alexa has to get her information from somewhere, right? Google gets her information from somewhere, Siri, Cortana, all these places. And as more chatbots and more AI powered services come online, you know, like whether it's a, you know, a smart car or a smart hovercraft, if we get to that or drones, like they need that same information. So, you know, I think being prepared for what's coming is about, you know, managing those public facts about your brand. That is excellent information. That is David Rev Ciancio. He's a senior marketing strategist, brand manager, expert burger taster, and leading French fry historian. <laughs> Rev, thank you so much for joining the podcast today, man. Awesome. Hey, I really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you for being on it. I don't know if you're going to link up my social in the post here, but I'm on, I'm Rev Ciancio on every platform. If you, anybody has questions, don't hesitate to reach out to me. I'm happy to answer and, and talk to people. And you have a website too. Is that correct? Uh, burgerconquest.com burgerconquest.com I wouldn't have expected anything less <laughs> thank you Tyler thanks Rev Thank you again to Rev Ciencio for joining me on the show today. Unfortunately, good listeners, that's all we have time for on today's episode of the Market Scale Hospitality Podcast. I hope you learned something. I know I certainly did. Uh, thank you so much to our guests, Mark Orwall and Rev Ciencio. Thank you to Sam Mosier, my colleague, for helping out on this one. Thank you to Zach Werblow, who joined for the intro today. I certainly appreciate all of them. If you enjoyed this content today, please feel free to share it around with friends, family, neighbors, colleagues, other people in the industry. We would certainly appreciate that very much. Also, leave us a nice rating on iTunes or wherever you're listening to this. That is helpful for us as well. 
We will be back soon with another episode of the Hospitality Podcast. But until then, I hope you have a happy holidays. I've been your host, Tyler Kern. We'll talk again soon. Bye.